Welcome to Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Michael Bumpus here with Paul Moyer. If you are a true Hawks fan and you didn't know the Hawks lost 26-17 last Thursday, I forgive you, okay? It's, it's all right. We, we don't want to remember that, but we have to go through what happened, Moyer. And my initial reaction to that loss was first half, second half. And it, it sounds pretty familiar. The first half, the Hawks go into halftime up 7-3. to three. The second half, they're outscored 23-10. to 10. And in all of that madness, they happen to lose the most important player on their football team, Russell Wilson. He's out for three to six weeks. First injury he's ever had in his career as a football player, which is pretty amazing in itself. Um, thoughts on the Rams game, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Well, I thought first half defensively we did some nice things. You know, you go back and watch the video. It, you know, Rams probably missed on a few things that they saw, and they got us in the second half, particularly going after our defense with with a, a zone route concept. That it's tough. The Seahawks will adjust to it. it uh, I saw it a bunch over the the weekend. So I, I thought we played hard. I liked what we did offensively. You know, when we when we had the lead. Um, but, you, you know, obviously you lose Russell. That's tough. Uh, Geno Smith comes in. That was a great drive. Uh, we'll talk, obviously, more about him. I'm excited that, you know, for an older guy, he's still got great legs. Yeah. And that's going to be important moving forward. So, look, Ram game was competitive. Uh, I look at that game, and, I, you know, again, I was reading a bunch of the tweets and the negativity. Man, the only negativity, honestly, it came down to five plays. Five. Maybe three. And I'm going to really emphasize this, too. When you play a great team, your best players have to shine. And so I'm going to go with our three or four of our highest-paid players. Okay. Russell Wilson, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, Dwayne Brown. In that game, there were four or five plays that were huge in that game, and if they play the way they're capable and make the plays – we're in great shape. And I'll only give a couple examples. First example was third down. And we got a cover two on the Rams. We've got the lead. We're going to get off the field. Cover two, perfect call in that situation. <clears throat> they read it wrong. They throw into coverage where Jamal is in perfect shape. And, and for whatever reason, Paul uh, Jamal doesn't adjust to that pass. At worst, knockdown interception, no chance that that should have ever been caught. You're talking about that long throw, long pass to Deshaun? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that was it was a third down play. Yeah. So, so there's two things going on there. So why is that? And so that's a big play. Our best players have to make those plays. Those are give-me plays. Not only did we not get off the field, they make the play, go down and score. I'm going to throw another one. Russell Wilson, I mean, people give me a little heat on this one, the, the play he hurts his finger on. We run a mm. double move, a stutter go with Lockett. It's a beautiful play. It was pretty. He's open by 20 yards, maybe 50, and I'm exaggerating. Um, it, Russell gets some pressure, but he's open. Russell can make that throw. He overthrows him in that situation. And, you know, to, to magnify that issue, you know, he hurts his finger and he's out for six weeks. Third one, I'll stop it at, at this. We get a touchdown. Again, Dwayne Brown gets called for holding. Blake comes back. Not only do we not score, I think we miss a field goal. So those three plays are worth, uh, well, there's 14. Uh, uh, that's, that's 21 points, really, that end up costing the Seahawks. Three plays. Those are your three best players. And there's some, you know, there's a couple plays, again, where Bobby Wagner, I expect him on these long situations to, to, to play better in those two. So not that anybody even played that poorly. Everybody's nitpicking. I go, I'm telling you. 
It's three <laughs> or four plays that are tw- it's a 21 point difference on that and you end up winning that thing and even with all that we got the ball with 2 minutes left had a chance down 6 mhm so I, i'm not that discouraged i was disappointed we, we lose our best player we don't have chris carson did we have chris no we didn't have chris carson right uh, you know defensively we got we, we talked off air a bunch we just got to get tighter in understanding pattern reads and I gave you a really good example of one. If they can learn these little subtleties, instead of them being big plays downfield, they're interceptions. Or they have to pull the ball down and dump it off. And part of it is getting to know each other. It's still rep- – So the- let me ask you this. So when, as a coach, you've coached in the league, yeah. right? When, as a coach, do you look at your coaching staff and you look at your players and you go, look, look guys, this is just who we are. You know, I don't know if we can get these things right. Or is it just a constant battle every single week – uh, just try to tweak a thing here or there, and hopefully, eventually, they figure it out. Because at some point, if it doesn't get figured out, the season is just gone. And, and we're not at the point right now where the season is gone. No, we're, we're what, 28% through the season or, yeah. or whatever it is with the extra game now. Um, so two things to that. Uh, look, some of it is I may just have a really special player. I'm looking at Jamal Adams. We got to stop playing Jamal Adams as as a traditional safety. He's not a cover two safety. He's an in the box safety. Yeah, uh, you you've got to adapt whatever it is. We we it may be pulling Bobby Wagner off on third down and putting him in for blitzes and things like that. Because I really believe you need to have Marquise Blair back as another safety. You got two digs in him, and then have a nickel, and then Jamal Adams. You know, or you got to put Jamal more in the nickel situation, which that didn't work because you know he's not going to man up all day on the slot. So that that's when. So somebody has a special skill that maybe you go, okay, that's not his strength. I don't know if that's going to improve. Then then I just got to live with some things, right? The other one though is the offenses now are so complex, right? Multiple formations, lots of different. You know, I'm in gun, I'm under center. I got all these different play actions, boots. I've, you know, I've got RPOs, which we saw a bunch or at least a few times with the Ram. There's a lot going on there. Man, there's just not enough reps. So some people, it's like, well, do you get more complex on defense? Do you get less? You know, is it too simple? So I think it's, it's one of those where I'm looking with the Seahawks is, are we getting a little better every week? And I think we are. Okay. I thought we played better last week. It's just they hit us on these four – five plays in a row with the same route. We just really weren't adjusting to it. Maybe it's pass, right? It's really everything with defense. I I, I could look at that, which I did the the video, and go, okay, we're going to be okay. I feel better now than I did two weeks ago. Well, that's, that's good. Sure. So you think we're going to be okay, which is which is good. 12, you guys heard it here first. Paul Moyer tells you it's going to be okay, but you lose number three. Mm. Now, Geno Smith comes in. He puts together a great drive. 10 plays, 98 yards, finishes with a 23-yard touchdown to D.K. Metcalf. Will Disley got involved. He was 5 for 7, 77 yards, one touchdown during that drive. This guy in his career has 30 touchdowns. He's thrown 30 touchdowns, 37 interceptions, 7 rushing touchdowns. What did you see out of Geno that will back up what you said? Defensively, they're going to be all right. Offensively, are these guys going to be all right? Yeah, I think offensively we will be fine. Now, it's easy to say after somebody comes in the middle of a game and executes on the game plan when he's not being game planned against. Exactly. We've talked about that forever. Yeah. We'll see how this week is. He's going to get a ton of blitzes. That's what Pittsburgh does. 
you know, Blitz is, is both good and bad. Is is an offensive coordinator and a quarterback. Hey, the one nice thing is Blitz and man to man. I know who I'm throwing to mm-hmm. usually, but now I've got pressure. You know, there's a lot lot that goes with that. Uh, if Chris Carson plays, I'm feeling a little better. We'll see where that goes because um, I do believe that we can't put as much pressure on him as we do with Russell. We got to run the football. I think we're going to be offensively. I we're going to be great. And again, if we need him for eight games. You know, game plans. I mean, you're looking, you're losing one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, and Russell Wilson. But Geno looked good. He he looked mobile. Uh, he was accurate. He ran the offense. It, I, that last interception wasn't his fault. Though I wish he had dumped it off on the sideline. To, I think it was Travis Homer because he was about seven yards downfield, no one on him. Um, I think we're going to be fine. I think it really comes back more. They'll bump. Is our defense dominant enough or good enough right now to give Geno and the offense a chance to just take a fraction of a step back? I, I think that's key. The defense has to carry the offense, at least to start or at some point during the game, is going to be like, okay, defense, make your player two and get these guys going. They're going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who we know Ben Roethlisberger is not the most mobile quarterback. He's not throwing the ball down the field like he used to do it. They do have weapons in Chase uh, Claypool. We also have Deontay Johnson on the other side. Najee Harris is coming off his best game as a rookie. So they will be challenged. They've won once in Pittsburgh in the last 20 years. The last time they won was 2019. That's when Ben started to feel like an old man. He hurt his elbow against the, the Seahawks and didn't come back. But I'm with you. I think there's enough to go into this game optimistic. Even though Geno is going to be at the quarterback spot, they might change the offense a little bit, but not too much. And you know what? We're going to ask Ray Fittipaldo from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette about that when we return right here on Hawks Live. You're listening to Hawks Live every Thursday right here on 17 ESPN with me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer. Now we get to speak to Ray Fittipaldo from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, what's up, man? Good to be with you tonight. How are you? Hey, nice to hear your voice again. We spoke to you, what, two years ago um, in the pre- and post-game show when the Hawks went down to Pittsburgh and some familiarity going on, man, at least a little bit. We have a quarterback who was injured in Russell Wilson. Last time the Hawks went down there, Ben Roethlisberger was banged up. What's the mood there in Pittsburgh? You guys are coming off a win. Uh, Three losses prior to that. You beat the Cleveland Browns. What's the vibe over there? Yeah, I mean, listen, they're two and three right now. They're looking to get to three and three before they get to their bye next week. So, um, you know, I think they realize that the Seahawks are coming in here a little bit banged up. You know, not only are they going to have to play without Russell William, uh, Wilson for the first time uh, in a decade, but they're, they're coming in here with um, a defense that's given up a lot of yards. So uh, you mentioned it. They're coming off a nice win against the Broncos, the offense after a really rough start got on track. So I don't want to say that, the, you know, the fans are thinking the Steelers turned the corner, but I, I think they see a very real opportunity for them to get back to 500 at the bye. And considering the way the season started, you know, that would be a positive development. Thanks for that, Ray. It was the Denver Broncos. And during that game, Najee Harris has the best game of his career so far. What do you guys seen out of Najee? He's really good. I I think he's going to have a chance to be even better when he gets an offensive line that uh, is a little bit better than this one. Um, You know, the the Steelers have four new starters um, up front. There's two rookies. Uh, Rookie Kendrick Green is a starting center, and they're starting uh, a rookie fourth-round pick, Dan Moore, 
at left tackle. And there's, there's just a, a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. I thought they played their best game against the Broncos. You know, Broncos came to Pittsburgh with a top five defense. I, I still think they're, you know, they're, they're a pretty good defense, but you know, the running game finally got untracked. And I, and I think that was the entire key to this Steelers off season. They, they needed to take the pressure off Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, he's not a guy at age 39 who can carry an offense anymore, but I think a lot of people think that he could still be an effective quarterback if he has a good running game. They, they finally got that last week and Najee Harris was a huge part of that. So um, I, I think this guy's going to be a really, really good player for a long time. Um, and once this offensive line situation gets settled, I think you're going to see that guy blossom. It is weird to see Pittsburgh. Right now they're ranked 27th in offense. I want to say 31st maybe in rushing average. And I mean, they because they've always had such a good one. I, David DeCastro, you lose. I coached him in high school, one of the great ones of all time. Just great, great people. But is, is it the offensive line? Is that the biggest issue? Or is it still, you know, just been with father time? Yeah, I, I would say offensive line first and then Ben second. You know, Ben, when they were on that three-game losing streak, he was turning the ball over a little bit. And uh, when he turns the ball over, um, you know, he just puts that defense in a bad situation. I mean, listen, this Steelers defense statistically doesn't rank where it ranked last year. Um, but that's because they've been injured. You know, T.J. Watt was banged up. Um, Devin Bush has been in and out of the lineup. They're just not um, – they just haven't hit their stride yet on defense. But once they do, this is a really, really good defense. And this offense under Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have to take a lot of chances. You know, they can – you know, he could be a you know a, a game manager, and they could still win a lot of football games. So they're still searching for their identity as a team. I, th- I think, you know, when everyone gets healthy, I think this is going to be a um, you know a stingy defensive team that um, can win with with a, with a decent offense. But you know, right now they're still trying to find their way. They've still got a few injuries they're dealing with, but it's a much better situation. Uh, than it was a couple of weeks ago when seemingly half their lineup on defense was out with injuries. Well, I'm going to stay with defense then. Uh, my next question, uh, Keith Butler is your defensive coordinator. I'm going to date myself. I played with Keith Butler when he was here with uh, the Seahawks. A great guy, super smart. What's interesting to watch him evolve is he was always a very conservative coach. I mean, he was a zone guy, not a big blitzing team. And then – he transitioned, and, and they blitzed a ton. But how about now? What what are they from a defense? And maybe share some some really good players that we don't know about on the on the on the Steelers defensive side. Yeah, I mean the last couple of years they they kind of they, they've tried to get away from blitzing as much as they had. Um, uh, you know, like 2014 through 2017, 2018, when they had those great offenses but the defense was worn up to snuff. They spent a lot of high draft picks on defenders now. And, uh, you know, they play a lot of four-man rush, and they like to sit back in coverage. Um, what's hurt that this year is they are missing two starting defensive linemen. Uh, Stephon Tewitt has yet to play. He's got a knee injury. He's on IR. And Tyson Alulu, uh, another former first-round pick, is done for the season with a fractured ankle. So, they're playing with a lot of young guys up front. Uh, they've given up some rushing yards. The pass rush hasn't been as good as it usually is. So 
that's kind of been an adjustment for Keith. They've been trying to manufacture ways to, you know, get the pass rush going. Um, you know, you mentioned guys who are, uh, you know, maybe unknown, but, um, you know, playing pretty, pretty good ball for them. Everyone knows about TJ Watt and Cam Hayward. Those guys are, are all pros. Um, and Nick Fitzpatrick is an all pro too, but he's, he's a deep safety. Um, he's just an under the radar guy around the league. I think, I think he's known in Pittsburgh, but, um, I don't think he's as well known around the national football league came over from the dolphins, uh, er ever since he's been here, he's kind of been the, the stabilizing factor in the back end of that defense. Now he's not turning the ball over as much as he did his first two years, um, we haven't seen the big play from him, but uh, watch him on uh, Sunday night, number 39. Really, really good football player in the back end for the Steelers. Now, you guys lost a really good football player in Juju Smith-Schuster. He's been great for Ben Roethlisberger on third downs. You have Deontay Johnson still and Chase Claypool. But how do you replace Juju? You move those two guys up, but there's somebody that's coming off the bench that's going to be that third receiver spot. How does that loss affect this offense? Yeah, I mean, James Washington is the number four receiver. He'll bump up the number three now. Uh, he missed the Broncos game with a groin. He's been limited the first two days uh, of, of the week. So we'll see how effective he is on Sunday. Uh, they also have Ray Ray McLeod, who's a punt retire. Um, You know, he, he has a chance to play a little bit in the slot. Um, but a name to watch out for. And he's a really, really good young player. Um uh, it hasn't flashed too much yet just because I don't think he completely knows the offense. Rookie second-round pick, uh, tight end Pat Fryermuth. Um, really, really impressive throughout training camp. Um, they've kind of slowly worked him into the offense through the first five weeks. I think Smith-Schuster's injury might speed up his development a little bit. And I think he would be perfect um, to kind of fill in that slot receiver um, role for the Steelers. He's, he's, he's a big tight end, uh, but he runs routes like a receiver, and he's got a great set of hands. So I think they're going to piece it together with some versatile guys, but uh, watch out for Fryermuth on Sunday night. Uh, he's got a chance to step up and uh, um, you know play a big role for the Steelers in this game. You know, the one thing about the Steelers, as weird as it is, we're in different conferences. It's one of the most disliked teams in the Northwest. And it obviously goes back to the 2005 Super Bowl. and But I, what was crazy to me uh, in that game, man, one day they traveled and had crazy, terrible towel, yellow, terrible towel. So I know this is going to be a tough place for the Hawks, man. That's, uh, that's a tough stadium to walk into for any opponent. Yeah, they were only here two years ago, and uh, that was the game that uh, Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, I think, uh, uh, I think Russell picked on Terrell Edmonds in that game. I think he threw a deep ball to DK Metcalf that, uh, you know, gave them the lead and ultimately the victory in that game. So it'll be interesting to see if Metcalf and Lockett can step up in this game with Geno Smith. Uh, I think if they can, I think the Seahawks have a chance to make this game uh, competitive or even win it. But, uh, you know, with Geno Smith, I think the Steelers, um, you know, they'll, they'll have a chance to, Spin the dial a little bit, show him some different looks, and uh, I think the Steelers got a pretty decent chance to get back to 500 on Sunday night. All right, the battle of the two and threes, Ray. We appreciate your time, man. All right, man. Anytime, appreciate it. All right, have a good one. All right, when we return, we're going to talk to tight end Colby Parkinson. That's right here on Hawks Lock. 
You are listening to Hawks Live every Thursday on 710 ESPN. Thursday Night Football, the Bucks getting it done 28-7, but the Philly Eagles are in scoring position. And right now we have the privilege to talk to Seahawks tied in, Colby Parkinson. Colby, what up, man? How you guys doing? Hey, we're doing good, man. And, you know, we get these these athletes on and we interview them. And the first thing I do is I go, man, where did he go to school? Where is he from? And you're from Cali, man. I'm from Cali as well. I'm Culver City, a little more, uh, what is that, north of you, um, over by the yep. airport. And you went to Oaks Christian, the prestigious Correct, Oaks yeah. Christian High School. What was that like playing in high school just with all the expectations and the, and, and, uh, the cameras and stuff? Man, it had to be a great experience. Oh, I loved it. Oaks was an awesome experience for me. Um, that was kind of a, a high school that I always wanted to go to uh, growing up. You know, it was a little out of the way for me, but um, was something that was really on my heart that I wanted to go there, and it was a great experience football-wise, school, and, you know, they do a great job with the whole faith aspect too. Where were you before that? Because it says you were born in San Ramon up in Northern California. What, were you living close to, to Westlake and Oak Christian before you went there? Yeah, I was. So I was born up in uh, Northern California and then actually moved up to Bellevue for a couple years uh, and then back down for, you know, from – kindergarten on i was in simi valley just outside of uh westlake and you were a hooper man six seven i i hope you hooped man uh, did you get any looks as a basketball player coming out of high school uh i stopped playing after my junior year so i didn't get too many looks um but yeah football was kind of uh my path um early on so looking at your junior year we were, we were kicking this one around Talk about the recruiting process, because your junior year, you, you had 24 catches, 289 yards, four touchdowns, but you commit that December or January, I think, to, to Stanford. How did right. – we go into a camp, uh, does it more off your sophomore year? How did, how did you end up going to Stanford? Uh, yeah, so my sophomore year was kind of my first uh, year starting as, on varsity, and um, that kind of kicked my recruiting off. Uh, and I, I'd always wanted to go to Stanford. You know, the academics and the way they use the tight end and the pro-style offense was something that was uh, really appealing to me. Um, so once I got the offer right after my junior year, I committed within, you know, 24 hours. Did they recruit you more off of the potential what you were going to do in the passing game or they see you as, as a run blocker? What, what was the strengths at, for, of your game at that time? Uh, early on, it was definitely the, uh, the pass game. Um, you know, my freshman year at Stanford, I was used mainly as a receiver. I was split out all the time, kind of all over the field. And then they uh, definitely saw the potential in me to progress to a true Y and, you know, play every down, not just passing downs. Hey, Colby, Al, I believe you broke your fifth metatorso in your foot. Is that correct? Correct, yep. Yeah, so I had the same injury when I was uh, with the Seahawks. I mean, tell me what that recovery was like. Because I know for me, it was hard for me to run as hard as I can and put that foot in the ground and really believe that it was going to hold up. Yeah, it definitely took a while to get the confidence back. Um, whether or not the foot was strong enough was kind of out of the question. As it is for most recoveries, you know, a lot of it's mental, just trusting it out there. Um, but, you know, I was able to come back pretty quick. Uh, felt really good out there. Uh, this was last year. And, you know, after about eight weeks, I was I was really comfortable running around and not really thinking about it. And but you had another injury. Was it similar similar to this one? Uh, it was similar. It wasn't uh, nearly as bad. It was you know I was only out for about four or five weeks, but I was running you know a week after I kind of messed it up a little bit and was back really quickly running on the field. Um, and now you know fully confident and it's all all good. 
So you, you said that you, you finally got confidence in it again. How, how do you get that mindset? I mean, I'm sure you know injuries around the feet, you start to worry a little bit. Do you, do you rely on your, your, your colleagues there in the tight end room or significant other? Uh, so the confidence just comes from repetition. Uh, for me especially, uh, you can only do so much in rehab. You know, you're running routes and, and all that, but it's, it's nothing like the game. So getting out there and practicing and playing is – when you're when you're fully confident, it's, it fully clicks. So now you're healthy, you're ready to go. Describe your game to people who probably don't know who you are. What type of football player is Colby Parkinson? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a six foot seven tight end who loves to catch the ball, run routes, and uh, you know I've, has definitely developed the blocking part of my game to be uh, reliable and something that I'll continue to work on. And, you know, be that dependable uh, every down tight end. Do you see that? I don't even know I call it a hybrid. I mean, look, tight ends back in the day, you know, you had your hand down the ground and it was blocked first and you were an outlet second. You know, now today it's, you know, you're a wide receiver. As you mentioned, you get spread out. How do you see that you, how they use you moving forward and over the next couple of years, you see that being moved out mostly in the passing game? Uh, I think they'll try to use me all over the field. I mean, my job is, uh, or my goal rather, is to uh, be someone that, um, you know, when I'm on the field, they're not sure what's coming. They can put me out wide. They can uh, line me up hand on the ground. And uh, we can do all different types of things and uh, really have some different creative looks based off of it. So uh, that's that's the goal for me, at least moving forward and, you know, try to show what I can do uh, out there on the field. He can do it all, Moyer. That's what he's saying. He can do it all. <laughs> so now let's let's go back to college now. Colby, now your, your Stanford Cardinal has a big win against Oregon in overtime. They go up top yeah. to big receivers to get it done. Then the next week they lose to Paul Moyer's oh, alma mater. Thank you for bringing Arizona that up. State. Just where do you think Stanford yeah. football is right now? You know, they're just trying to find it. Uh, I think kind of like kind of like us this year, honestly, we're uh, – have some great stuff going on and some stuff we, you know, we're working through and trying to trying to click. So uh, they'll figure it out. I know they will. And I mean, that Oregon game was pretty awesome to watch. Was, I was fired up for them. So it's interesting about David Shaw. Uh, his dad, Willie Shaw, was my defensive back coach at Arizona State. Probably. Oh well. I hate to say because I've had so many great coaches in my life, but there was none finer. I mean, again, just yeah, cr- really intelligent guy. Understood not just the game, people and. I, I probably wouldn't have made an NFL without him. I mean, he's he was that impactful in my life. But I remember David, when I think it was either on a recruiting trip, I think I stayed at, at the Shaw's house. And he was a little, and, uh-huh. you know, he was looking up, you know, like I was, you know, he was he was in awe of me back then, is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, so just, just really happy. So Dave Wyman, that was more of a, a, a statement than anything on that. Uh, Dave Wyman, who went to Stanford and who I played with also, he I said, well, give me something to ask. Uh, Colby that you know maybe no one knows and he said go ask him if yeah. they still have Sunday night flicks at Stanford Sunday night fi- flicks Sunday night what flicks flicks yeah Sunday so night flicks. It, I knew I so I had to be prepared I go Dave if he says no I've never heard it I gotta have a where, where, I got somewhere to go on this one uh-huh. but he used to say it was a big deal at Stanford that they would release uh, movies ahead of time like three or four days and it would be called Sunday Night Flicks, and they would release it at, at Stanford. Everybody would go to watch it. So, so it, basically, there's nothing to do at Stanford if that's all he had. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty exciting to me. <laughs> exactly. Sure that did not happen uh, while we were there. Hey, Colby, don't worry about it. 
we stream nowadays. There's no flicks. There's no yeah, flicks. We stream exactly. Good nowadays. Point. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Colby, man, we appreciate you taking time out of your day, man. Good luck this uh, this Sunday, man, Sunday night against Sunday the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's right. Yeah, I can't wait. Appreciate it, guys. God bless. All righty. Thank you. That was Colby Parkinson. Man, it sounds like a good kid, man. Colby well, you like know me. I, anybody, man of faith, and he, he went to. He talked about Oaks Christian and why he went there. Yeah. And, you know, he kept bringing up, you know, faith and and academics. Why to Stanford academics? You know, and you know, hey, blessings at the end. That's a. I'll take that in today's world any day. All day, every day. That was Colby Parkinson. When we come up, when we come back, get it out, bump. We come back. We're gonna talk to the professor, John Clayton, right here on Hawks Live. You know what it is, Hawks Live every Thursday. You hear the funk in the background. That means we're talking to JC, John Clayton. What's up, man? How we doing? Good, Michael. How are you? We are doing okay. We're talking football. We're watching football at the same time. We got the Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Does it surprise you? I, I think I saw a stat that Tom Brady leads the league in passing yards mm-hmm. and touchdowns. How great is that, John? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, you go back to last year, and I think what he has, uh, you know, 13 or 14 consecutive games where he's had three touchdown passes or more. He's had more 300-yard games dating back to last year than anybody in football. And the only bad part about this game is that the Eagles are playing, and, of course, that ruins the chance to watch the Kraken uh, because, again, you can see how one-sided this game is, and the Eagles, you know, though exciting a little bit on offense, just aren't that good. Is Kansas City – I mean, I, we can't say they're done because the Seahawks are two and three. And that means no. But they don't look the same. They don't. They're not the same. I mean, they're bad on defense. Uh, you know, they've gotten hardly anything out of Frank Clark. I know Chris Jones was injured last week. The secondary is not doing well. It's not like they're great at the linebacker position. They're getting no pressure on the quarterback. They've revamped their offensive line. But the biggest thing is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, dating back to last year, he's thrown about 13 interceptions, and he's never done that. I mean, he's always been, you know, one of the most accurate quarterbacks, one of the safest quarterbacks, but he's making more key mistakes than he's ever made, and they come at a critical point in the fourth quarter. And so because of that, those comebacks that he had last year, I mean, he's close, but he's not getting them. Now they lose, uh, you know, Edward Clyde Hilaire, their running back. He's got an MCL, so he's going to be out probably three to four weeks, and uh, it's not a good situation. You know, he's not getting the ball as consistent to Tyreek Hill. Uh, so, yeah, they're just not the same team right now. And at the moment, I mean, the best team in the AFC West is the uh, Los Angeles uh, Chargers. John, how great was the performance by Lamar Jackson on Monday Night Football? 37-43, 442 yards, four touchdowns. Is it time that people stop just saying he's a running quarterback? Yeah, I think so because, again, you can see you know, there's two things he's advanced on. Now to have a game like that with that kind of accuracy and that kind of throwing, knowing the teams are doing their best to stuff the run and knowing that you know, basically the, uh, you know, the Ravens are patching their running back position with you know, players off the street like Ladari- uh, Latavius Murray and uh, Devontae Freeman and now you know, having, uh, for what, it, what it's worth, uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, it's not the same. And so you can take away a little bit of a run, but you can't take away his runs. And so his ability to run where he's going to run for over 1,000 yards and to have a game like that was just absolutely incredible. So, uh, no, in fact, I had to do a thing for the Washington Post, and I probably had Lamar too low because uh, 
I had to do the MVPs, and basically nine of the ten MVPs were all quarterbacks. You know, I had Derrick Henry as number ten at running back, but you know, I, I put uh, for what it's worth, maybe I'm wrong on this, Tyler Murray at number one because he's five and zero. Oh. I put obviously Tom Brady at number two, Josh Allen at number three because you know he's right now the the, the biggest offensive producer as far as points in the AFC roughly and then I had Lamar number four yeah Kyler Murray's starting to worry me he's he's turning out to be better than I, th- I thought he would at, at this stage uh, John you were at Pittsburgh from yeah. Pittsburgh at mm-hmm. least before you came to Seattle so two things well, I'll ask just one right now but I'll follow up after um what what are they saying there about Ben Roethlisberger, is this, this is this it for him? They say this is it. Yeah, I mean because again, I mean you got a lot of people were thinking this should have been it, uh, you know, this uh, before the season, which would have been wrong because again, where are they going to get the quarterback? I mean, it's like uh, you know they they make they make the playoffs, they win eleven games, so you know it's like Tom, John Snyder in that you're drafting in the twenties. Where's the quarterback? I mean, because five quarterbacks you know went in the top thirteen picks, and so you know, and they weren't going to have the ability to trade up into uh, 13 or 11 or so to be able to get a quarterback. I mean, it's like, yeah, you're going to replace Ben Roethlisberger with Davis Mills of Stanford? I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, now this year, if they have a bad, if they continue to lose, now, of course, they won a big game last week against Denver, uh, but if they have a season right now, uh, they could end up, you know, with a top 12, top 10 pick and be in a position to move up to get a quarterback. But I think right now what you're looking at is Ben is getting too beat up. You can see that Ben, other than last week, has not thrown the ball downfield as much. I mean, for example, three of his first four games, I mean, he threw for less than six yards an attempt. And as you know, Paul, and you know, Michael, it's like, hey, uh, I mean, you need 6.4 is not good. Less than six is bad. Yeah, they got, they got, you know, unfortunately, I think they have to put it on the shoulders. They're 31st in the mm-hmm. rushing yards a game and 29th rushing average, so they're, they're not getting it done either way. Yeah, but they're getting better right now because they had a real good game against Denver with <laughs> Najee Harris. That they did. No, he had a career game. All right, so you, uh, Pittsburgh guy, Seattle guy, I think Pitt, the, the best – uh, at nighttime, the mm-hmm. best look of any stadium in the, in the National Football League is Lumen Field. I, it's just the way okay. it's it. But I tell you what, I think the second best is uh, is it still Heinz Field? Heinz Field is yeah. is Heinz Field. Those terrible yellow towels waving all mm-hmm. crazy. So maybe share a little differences between those two experiences when people walk in and what the Seahawks are against it with that home crowd. Well, what you have to do is you have to go back in history. And, uh, you know, look what happened in Pittsburgh, because all of a sudden, you know, Pittsburgh in the early 70s, you know, the steel mills were starting to close. And so what ended up happening is that uh, you start losing a lot of people moving out of town because, you know, they don't have the type of high paying type of jobs that you would have in the steel mills. And so uh, there was a real kind of lull there. Then all of a sudden here in 72, the Steelers start, they make their first playoff run with the Immaculate Reception, and then eventually, two years later, go to four out of six Super Bowls. And all of a sudden, that developed the pride that this team, ha- that the city had in their football team, and the pride that the city had in their, in, in their Steelers and also in their city. And so that was important because now you can see the fan base is about as good as it can be. It's loyal. It's loud. I mean, it cares. I mean, Frank, I mean, uh, you know, Myron Cope was the one who started the terrible towels. And, of course, uh, you know, 
whom ha he was the one who uh, you know taught them all to try to wave those towels and do it and they all do it and they love doing it but i mean they've got a great fan base they care about this team and they're always going to cheer it on first time i ever cried immaculate reception i was a diehard raider fan even though i grew up in southern california because i was george blanda Mm -hmm. and fred blitnikoff and all those guys first time i ever and i was little but i have never liked pittsburgh since until we had um who's our running back sorry franco harris yeah yeah. when we got him in 84 when kurt warner got hurt and i got to hang out with him for eight games when he was on our team one one of the sweetheart of, of sweetheart guys Oh, no question about it. A great guy, Franco and the Banco and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. I mean, uh, I still remember, you know, right before he came to Seattle, you know, going over to his house over in the north north side of uh, Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, saying, Franco, what are you doing with this holdout? I mean, you're asking for a multi-year contract and you're in your 30s. Are you crazy? No, I deserve it. It's like I've had a great career and I deserve a two- or three-year contract extension and all that. I said, Franco, you're not going to get it. And so next thing you know, they let him go. He ends up coming out here, and he is just a great guy. John, our producer, Nasser Choby, always gets us with some some good stuff. And on our show sheet, he has, look, the Seahawks came into training camp with 10 corners. Three of those guys remain, Reed, Brown, and Hislop. Do you think they are content moving forward with these guys? No, I think that uh, they're still going to continue to look. I mean, because, again, it's like, uh, the cornerback position, I know Dave Wyman didn't believe me on this, but I told him it's like the cornerback position right now is one of the most injured in football, cornerback and offensive linemen. And so that's why, for example, there was no question that Trey Flowers was going to get something quick. You know, Cincinnati loses Trey Waynes, their high-paid cornerback from last year. I mean, he goes on the injured reserve list, boom, Flowers goes. But I think what you're looking at right now is that, you know, they they bring in uh, Akella Witherspoon, and that didn't work out, but they were able to get rid of his $4 million guaranteed contract. You know, Flowers, prob- I, I, they, I don't know, it was a debate whether he wanted out or not, but, you know, Pete Carroll at the very least said that, you know, they needed to go a different direction because he needed a fresh start. And so that didn't go, but, uh, you know, they make the trade for Sidney Jones, but I think they're still going to be looking. You know, again, I don't think that they. I mean, again, it's, I was kind of surprised they weren't w- willing to give up that the low 2023 pick to get uh, Stephon Gilmore, but you can understand it. He's 31. He didn't have a great season last year, and he's still injured. Like, for example, he still got another week on the uh, PUP list, so he couldn't help immediately. John, it's that time. What's on your mind, Professor? Well, I guess the big thing right now is that, uh, you know, with John Gruden being let go, and wisely so because of the bad comments that he made, and you know you feel bad about the fact that here's the Washington investigation going nowhere, and the only people that had any kind of problems were John Gruden and Adam Schefter, which is very bizarre. But I think the big thing that this signals is that I think there's going to be a lot of coaching changes this year, you know, because now what you wonder, uh, you know, it's like uh, who's going to come in for John Gruden? I mean, certainly you can see that Matt Nagy's in trouble. I mean, you can go through a long list of coaches that are going to be in trouble, but I think this just kind of tips it off. And, of course, uh, you know, the one that I still, don't, I still don't know if he can make it to the Seahawks game is Urban Meyer because, uh, you know, Urban is so bad right now at what he does, probably one of the worst coaches to ever come into this league. And so it's like, how's that one going to go? And you don't have great hopes for that. All right, John. As always, we appreciate your time. You keep it funky. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, John.
Okay, when we return, it's time for me and Moyer to talk that talk. Will Jamal Adams get his first sack on Sunday? Will Geno Smith go 3-0 and at the quarterback spot? We'll talk about that and more right here on Hawks Live. Welcome back. Hawks Live every Thursday. It's time to talk that talk. Moyer, say it with your chest, Moyer. Whatever you say, you say it with your chest. Tell everybody to jump on 710 ESPN and go and look at the stream video us in the studio. And my my chest is sticking <laughs> out right now. Moore's been working out, y'all. He's been working out. Thank you. You noticed. Hey, I got you. All right. First question I have for you. Bring it. Because we're talking that talk right now. Will Gino go 3-0? Now they got the Steelers, the Saints, and the Jaguars. Before the bye, will they go 3-0 with Gino? feel a lot more confident if our defense was a team that I felt I could pin on to shut this the other opponent down and get them a bunch of opportunity. But here's what I will say. I'm going to say yes, and here's why. We just got to win this one. Next two are at home. I don't think New Orleans is very good. I know Jacksonville's not. I also like it that we are we're, we've all been on this team when you lose the guy. And there's one, there's two, two ways you can go. It's go south quickly, yeah. Or everybody picks it up, and we got so many good players on this team. They just got to bring their game up. Like we talked at the very beginning of the show last week. Three of our four, really, yeah, three of our four high-paid players. If they had done their job on certain plays, it was a twenty-point, twenty-one-point swing on these on three plays. A holding penalty, you know, we didn't hit a wide-open Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams on that third-down play cover, too. So, I think we're going to rise to the occasion. I think our defense is going to play much better. I, I, I mean, there's nowhere to go, you know, really. <laughs> I, I mean, there's sometimes you hit rock bottom and you just go, okay, guys, let's just go play football. We've been doing this since we've been, like, five years old. So, I think we're going to go 3-0. and But, you know, obviously, this is the one. I think the next two aren't going to be as difficult. Okay. So... There's two ways you make decisions, with yep. your heart yeah. with your mind. Yeah. My heart says, yes, 3-0, let's get it. My mind says, why would I believe they're going to go 3-0? The defense has struggled. The offense wasn't right with Russell Wilson. Now you got Geno coming in. I think Geno can move the ball, but you're going to have to lean on your defense. The run game, Carson's banged up. Alex Collins is going to get a few more carries. I'm just not sure that they're going to go 3-0. So I'm going to say they will not. I think they're going to drop at least one of these. I'm leaning more towards 2-1 and one rather than 3-0, just off of what I've seen the past five weeks. Do you think we win this week? Oh, yeah. Okay. No. So this is the game no. you don't think we no. get? No, I think, this, I, I think the, the ones after these they can get, but I think that Ben's healthy enough. They have a run game. They have two receivers on the outside. We know how we've struggled in the past game. They have a decent defense. Defense isn't as, as bad as ours has been playing right now. I look at it, the matchup, I look at the numbers, I'm just like, why should they win this game? And they won one time in Pittsburgh in 20 years. One time. Yeah, and that was 2018. Last time we were there. Yeah. I think it was 18. 19. 19. Yeah, so like that, which is kind of weird. And they, they changed the rules, I think, on how we do divisional games and, and crossovers now because now you don't get to go to the – you know, the other ASC to their place, but every eight years now moving forward. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. That's not good. You're going to say, Bump, that was an excellent point. I agree with you. I'm it, changing my mind. It, no, it was an excellent point. And I, <laughs> I honestly, I was going to bring a really good piece to this, but I just 
can't remember now, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. All right. All right. But simpl- uh, about simplifying, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, I mean, man, Russell's been the guy. I mean, Russell doesn't miss. He's been injured, but he hasn't missed a game or a practice snap. Do you think losing Russell, that Shane Waldron's job will be easier this week with Geno Smith at quarterback? Oh, yeah, it's going to be easier. It's going to well, be easier. So, let me explain the why. You know, easier net. Hey, part of it is not, probably not as much pressure, right? Um, you going to answer the question for me? Well, I was trying to set the the, que- the question up. Go ahead. Ah, right, yeah. Let me, okay. <laughs> it's going right. to be easier. Okay. And it's going to be easier because Geno's not going to go to the line of scrimmage and check out of a bunch of things. Geno is going to go through his progressions and hit the very first thing he sees open. Rather than I feel like what Russell does, like, look, I know this is open, but because this is open, the defense is going to react and this deep ball is going to be there. I think when they talk on the sideline, Gino's going to be like, yep, okay, I got you. Less input. Now, that input is you take it from Russell Wilson because he's a good football mind. He prepares. He's ready to go. But I'm sure at some point, Shane is like, all right, man, let's just run the play. You know. But Russell, being who he is, the future Hall of Famer, he has input. I think Gino's going to be like, what you want me to do, coach? I got you. Making his job easy. They're going to be talking right after that 15-second mark. The ball <laughs> might even be snapped right at the 15-second mark. This is job easier. I think um, we're going to find out what kind of coach Shane Waldron is mm-hmm. in this one because there won't be any bailouts. You know, there won't be in this magic get out of these certain rushes. Though, I will say that I, Geno Smith impressed me with his legs and his speed. You know, I mean, really, I, he's, he looks fresh. Obviously, he is. He hadn't played. Um, his arm, his accuracy. To me, the only bad throw he made was the last throw of the game where it was an interception, and it wasn't his fault. If we don't slip, there's probably not an interception. Yep. I just thought that was a forced two-minute. There was a check down that w- would have probably got us a first down in the first play, got us around midfield. Um, I, I think it's going to be um, something that's easier for Waldron because there's going to be a consistency that how the, the play develops, right? And so you're right. I think... He's going to know what Gino's going to do. I know how to set this up. There's times where I don't know what Russell's going to do, you know, and so I'm not sure maybe how to set the next play up as well. So I think it'll be easier. I don't know if it makes it easier on the Seahawks. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it may, from a play calling standpoint, I think it would probably be easier for Shane. Yep. All right. Jamal Adams will get his first sack on Sunday. Yes, he will. And here's why. All right. They've been playing him like, a strong safety. He's not a strong safety. He's not a free safety. He's a hybrid. He's a guy that needs to be up around the line of scrimmage. I think we're going to see more of what we saw last year. I don't know how they're going to mix the packages. It's it's more difficult because you got Jordan Brooks in there and you got Daryl Taylor. So you go, well, who are you pulling off the field? I mean, you you got to pull somebody. And it, I'm not so sure. I, I again, it's I don't know if they'll do it because Bobby never misses a snap. I truly believe you got to rest guys who are older. I have no problem going in with a dime package and having Jamal Adams as a middle linebacker. Teams ain't running on third down. you know. So if I got third and six, third and seven, I got a truly another blitzer that they've got to account for. He's certainly capable of covering backs and tight ends. Um, I just think we're going to use him more around the line of scrimmage. So, yes, this will be it. And Green Bay's offensive line's not very good. I think with... Roethlisberger being the statue that he is, he already was a statue, but he could move a little bit in his younger years. The per, the chances of him having a sack this week go up 
because you naturally think, okay, you have to pressure Ben Roethlisberger. He's not going to go anywhere. But I'm going to say no. And I'm just going to say no because I feel like Kit Norton and Pete Carroll think they can get pressure with this defensive line. I think I think they look at they look at Daryl Taylor and they say, look, man, we're gonna we're gonna dial some things up for Daryl. We're gonna put him on some stunts. We're gonna put him in a nine tag. We're gonna do some things with him and drop Jamal into coverage like they've been doing. They've been playing him like a strong safety. I would love for him to get a sack this week. Um, I just don't think it's gonna happen. Well, hold on one second, Bump. Here's the other thing. So head coach Mike Tomlin from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a big fan of Jamal Adams. He's been watching the tape, and I think he thinks of Jamal Adams a little bit like you guys have been saying, especially like Paul just mentioned. Here was him talking about uh, Jamal Adams during his press conference this week. On the defensive side of the ball, looking at them, uh, they got some dynamic players. Um, (laughs) Man, that strong safety. Man, we got our hands full in terms of trying to minimize him, not only in terms of in the box, in terms of what he does in the run game, but he's just an outstanding blitzer, man. I spent some time this summer delving back into 2020 tape and – just looking at some opponents and looking at some players. And, man, this guy is the most dynamic secondary blitzer in football. I mean, the rate in which he gets to the quarterback, that is something to be respected. It's funny because too many people, to me, focus only on what he can't do. Yeah. And they you don't, they don't watch what he does do because he's still – they account for him. And he's still a freak coming at the football. I mean, yep. he's a playmaker. like for him to have more – I like for him to make some plays in the passing game. But I, this is where I, you, you said something right before we did that. You go, I think Pete think we can get it with our front four and Daryl Taylor, which, again, four sacks, five games. Let's give him more opportunities. That's pretty impressive so, so far. But I also believe that they know what they have, and that is what Tomlin just said. Mm-hmm. He's explosive. You don't waste that kind of ability sitting back in – a, a three deep zone or a, him playing a two deep that, that's not his game nope. and and I think they've seen enough of it to go all right let's get our best players on the field to make plays all right we know what he does well we know what he doesn't do well and we shall see how they use him on Sunday more things he's gonna get it this this week first sack okay when we return we'll go inside the film room Daryl Taylor sack on Matthew Stafford Matthew Stafford finds Deshaun Jackson for a six eight yard bomb Geno Smith to DK Metcalf. We'll break those down next on Hawks Live. Thanks for listening to Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 o'clock right here on 17 ESPN. I'm Michael Bumpus with Paul Moyer. And now we get to be coaches. Moyer played in the league. He coached in the league. He coached high school. I'm coaching high school ball right now. We're going to the film room, coach. In the first play, we're going to break down Daryl Taylor sex Matthew Stafford for a seven-yard loss. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Well, Taylor had four sacks in five games. He's starting to be what they thought he would be when they drafted him. You know, a steal of a draft. <clears throat> and I think he's going to be one of them. Uh, you know what impressed me on this? He's lined up on the left side. He goes up against their tight end. It's just how strong he is. I, I think of him as a speed rusher mostly only. Yeah. But he's a bull guy, rush guy, too. I mean, obviously, he has, he's very strong with his hands inside. So, you know, this is kind of a bull rush, and he beats the tight end inside eventually. And it's just his effort at this point. Because after that, there's nothing, right? I mean, he's kind of sandwiched in between the tackle and the tight end. He's, he's split those two. This is a, this is an effort sack. So when you get that from a speed rusher who can also bull rush inside, pretty impressive. Bull rushing is almost standing straight up. 
It's yeah. not even like he has leverage, man. This is just a young man who wants to get <laughs> young after man is right. the football. You know, those, those older statesmen, they're going to use good technique. They're going to get hands on the chest plate. They're going to push and get through. This is just see ball, get ball. I want a sack effort. I like that. It's a, And you could make up for some technique if you just have great effort. And it's a good thing he got the sack. And you'll find this in almost every play. There's someone open. But, boy, sacks make secondaries look really good quickly. Yeah. So we need more of those. We need a lot more of those. A lot more. Okay, next play. Matthew Stafford finds Deshaun Jackson for a 68-yard gain on third and 10. Stafford, shotgun snap. Here comes the rush. Steps up. Going to let it fly. Got a man. It's Jackson. It's underthrown, and he comes back and makes the catch. And now turns upfield to the 30. The 25 being chased as Jones was chasing him on a desperation play. Stafford throws it up for grabs. It's underthrown, and the only guy that adjusts to it is Deshaun Jackson for at least 75, maybe closer to 78 yards on that pass, reception, and run. Wow. You want to start? I'll go first. No, you got it. So no one can ever claim that we only show good plays, okay, by the Seahawks. (laughs) So this one is actually something I wish we'd run more of. This is two-man. And so what that means, we're running too deep with our safeties. And instead of playing zone underneath, everybody's manned up, usually inside trail technique. And there's, you, you don't want to trail real far, you know, because, you know, you start creating space to run, you know, inside, outside routes. And then if you run a corner route, you know, that's hard for the safety to come over the top on this. Uh, you look, this one is why we pay people big bucks. You got to make this play. Yeah. You know, this, down, this is third down. This is actually LJ Collier's best rush of the year. It's awesome. The stunt mm. he does. He... He destroys Stafford. Stafford sees it last second. He's he's looking to his left, which, by the way, he would get because one of our guys falls down. I don't like this technique at all by our right corner, DJ Reed. Um, I don't. It's really hard to play man like that, you know, and and then let somebody just keep breaking your cushion. Um, destroys him, and so Stafford comes backside thinking he has a different coverage, and and this is this is actually should be an interception. Um, I don't like how our corners are, are running this because we're trying to disguise it. Let's just let's just be technically sound. And I mean, get up and bump. Take away the route, man. Take away the time of the route. Yeah. We're letting these guys run down free. I mean, our corners just let these guys get outside. So now it's putting a ton of pressure on Jamal Adams. And this is why he doesn't, to me, make the play. It's basically a go route on him deep. And once they get past 15, 20 yards, it's one-on-one. Wide receiver versus the safety. And in this situation, he gets a little nervous of the guy's speed, gets turned more than he should, and ends up Jackson makes the play when it should have been an interception. But I, I would correct this, this technique. Here's what I don't like. I believe that's Sidney Jones, that corner over Deshaun Jackson. Doesn't get hands on him. I'm a receiver. You do not put hands on me during the route. I'm living good. Life is great. I'm going to manipulate this whole situation. Another thing I don't like, that trail technique you speak of. I understand they're going to play a trail technique, but he is flat-footed, Moyer. Like he's, there, there's no, he's not on his toes. I'm talking about Sidney Jones here. He's not on his toes. He's, he's literally saying, okay, run by me, then I'm going to try and catch up which I understand trail technique, but I doubt that you would coach it that way. Um, here's the good. Jamal Adams sees it, turns and run, right? He's beating him to the spot, but it's almost like he's not even really looking at the receiver. He's kind of just saying, I'm going to make sure I get on top and at least prevent a big play from happening, where it's almost like, you know, and I never played safety in the league. I played at high school, Culver City High School back in California. 
but I'm turning and running, and I'm running to the receiver. I'm looking at his eyes. I'm looking at his body language. Is that football about to drop? And that just shows, and it gets to your point where this week, right, don't put him in coverage. Put him down in the box. That's just not where he's comfortable. Can he get better at this stuff? Yeah. The good thing is he, he's over the top. He's in decent position. He just doesn't locate the football. Yeah. To his credit, though, real quick, do you think if this ball is not underthrown, does Jamal Adams make this play? No, I was going to make that yeah, next comment. Great point. He, he, again, he because we not, we're not jamming. Again, I, I'm not even putting this on the corners. This, this to me, both corners are playing off. So I, they're trying to give him a three deep look, and then Jamal runs out late to the half. I, I, sw- I probably I could spend 30 minutes just coaching all these things here. But so there's two things that why it's it's so difficult for Jamal. One, Jamal doesn't play a lot of cover two. My first thing that I'm seeing here is I have only one threat. I have one threat, and that's that left wide out receiver for Jamal. Now, if I had two wide receivers on that side, now I got to play this different. I got one. As soon as I see that one, I'm getting wider. Yeah. I, I, I've got my guy inside. I don't have to worry about anything inside. I'm getting wider and deeper. So now this guy gets no, there's no jam. And it's not taught. He's seven or eight years yards back. So, what we talk about reroutes, right? You can't reroute a guy in the NFL seven or eight yards deep. It's a penalty. Mm-hmm. Even in college, it's, it's they're they're coming at you too fast now. I can do it at three to five yards. I can reroute the people because they're not at full speed. In this case, J- Jackson's in a track meet, so Jamal is immediately threatened. You see him; he turns to run because he thinks this is a go route. Which, by the way. It's supposed to be. Yeah. But call your hits are got the quarterback so hard the ball's underthrown, it flutters, and in that situation, it's just they made a play on us, unfortunate. In good position, unfortunate situation. Okay, last play. Geno Smith finds DK Metcalf for a 23 yard touchdown. First and ten. Here comes the blitz. The throw. Metcalf reaches up. Now, they're getting empty, so you know what they're doing. They're going to throw the football here. Geno does not disguise anything. He gets into his his drop, and he's looking right at DK. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Moy. It looks like a zone. I believe it should have been a 3-D, but there's nothing to the flat, so everyone just starts to get a little depth there to start backing up. Um, Geno knew he was going to DK here. There was no one else he was going to. I look at the technique of the corner, Rochelle. I think that's what uh, we heard Rabel say his last name was. Um, he finds a football and kind of gets frozen. It's like a deer caught in the headlights. He goes, there's the football, and his technique just leaves him. What DK does a great job of doing is leaving space on the sideline for a fade if Gino puts the ball further outside. I think that Gino knew where he was going. The DP, DB played horrible technique. And D, DK did a great job of just leaving space and then going up with his hands. Yeah, I'm not sure what to say on this. I, I'm looking at what the Rams are doing. They ran like a zone blitz. They bring someone off the corner. They drop a defensive lineman. So they must think we're going to the flood side, our right side, where there's three wide receivers. I'm going, you, you're going to leave this guy all alone with DK Metcalf down in the red zone? you got to be kidding me. And you're right, the corner for whatever he misjudges this. And even if he didn't, it's going to be a jump ball. Yeah. I mean, it's at worst, it's an incomplete pass. I, 
I'm just impressed that Gino found the matchup he liked. He recognized what they were doing. He didn't panic because it looks like they're about to send five or six guys. Um, I think he recognized what the um, um, coverage was as well, which it took me 15 times to rewind it. I'm still not 100% sure, but I think they just said, we're going to play man up on the backside. We're going to flood everybody else over to our, our offensive right side. You know, touchdown. And that, you know, look, Metcalf, we need to throw more of these up there where the worst is going to happen is an incomplete. Best touchdown, next best, P.I. Yeah. yeah. I think Geno's a guy. I think I think Shane Waldron's he's got an easier job this week. He's got an easier job. <laughs> All right. We shall see. Okay, when we return, we'll go around the NFL. Man, it's been a long week for Raiders and John Gruden. Urban Myers has some lofty goals. Are the Chiefs in trouble? We'll talk about all that right here on Hawks Live. Welcome back to Hawks Live. I'm Michael Bumpus hanging out with Paul Moyer. We're going around the NFL, and it's been a crazy week in the NFL, especially when you talk about John Gruden and the Raiders. Now, we all know he offended about everybody in the book, Moyer. There's no no one walked away from this not feeling some type of way when it comes to Gruden and those emails and everything that went down. So, But we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, right? He's been beat up all week. We want to get down to the team aspect of this thing. Like, Where does this team go from here? Right now, the interim head coach, the special teams coach, Rick Basaccia, 38 years in the league. Um, he has been around different organizations for a while. There's some guys on this team who are qualified to be head coach. You got Tom Cable. You got Gus Bradley. I mean, there's some other dudes there, but they decide to go with the special teams guy. Why do you think they go with Rich? Yeah, they got Rod Marinelli as well. There's a lot of guys with head coaching experience there. I've been around special team coaches that command a presence in a room. And more importantly, they're used to talking to the whole team because you have offensive and defensive guys on special teams that you're addressing. It's the one position coach that does that. Everybody else takes either, you know, their, their defensive side, offensive side, or position side. But I think in this situation more than anything, because obviously, you know, Gus Bradley could handle that situation. I think it's the least disruptive. It's one of those, you go from an offensive coordinator to a defense and, or def, defensive coordinator to a head coach, it's just the amount of time, your, your game plan. And so now I go and take on a head coaching role. I've got to delegate other people to take on some of my role. And it's just, you know, it's that trickle-down effect there. It's a lot of moving parts. This is an easy moving part. Special team coach has the least amount of time with them, has the least amount of time really to do things. It's more about practice prep and being organized. And I think in today's game it's even less now. I mean, you don't put as much emphasis on – kickoffs and kickoff returns so I think that's it um and and maybe this guy's dynamic I I, I don't I don't know him I couldn't say his name if you you said it to me again Basaccia Basaccia I do like it Basaccia but 38 years in the game that has I mean I know we got other guys here with head coaching um experience but 38 years says something you make a good point he can talk to the team and as a special teams coach I mean you take your work home but it's not like you are just man what am I going to do on third and five when they when this defense does this and you're not really scratching your head too much as a special teams guy, you run what you run, you defend what they defend and then you kind of move on. So now as a player, if I'm a player now, you've heard guys like Josh Jacobs speak out and say, look, man, I like the dude. He wasn't bad to me. I've been here a couple years. You hear what Derek Carr said. He goes, look, man, I love the man, but you just can't talk like that. If you are a leader in this locker room, you guys were three and at one point. You're one of the hottest teams in the league. 
You lose two in a row. Yeah, your coach is caught up in this scandal. Where do you go from here? Well, I think you got to find somebody that the team trusts. You know, I mean, to the core. You know, the, there's there's going to be things creep, doubt creeping on everybody. Well, what do you really say behind my back? And by the way, we may be talking about this every week because what the NFL did, they opened up a can of worms. Mm-hmm. You're going to open up every email, and we're going to go back as far. And by the way, we what he did is wrong. But 20 years ago, there's been a lot of wrong. Yeah, the culture of the NFL, the world is definitely changing, and he is caught up in all of that stuff. You heard a lot of players say he's a good dude, but what he said is what he said, and it is leaked, and now he has to deal with it. Now, another coach who's been dealing with some stuff this year, Urban Myers, man. He, You know, he had his deal a couple weeks ago about him staying home and, and hanging out at a bar or whatnot, but he's got some lofty goals this year for an 0-5 Jaguars team. You know, I, I like our identity right now. If you say, what's the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguar offense? It's a physical offense that runs the ball in balance. You know, our goal is always 250-250. I want to say we were 250-200. You know, that's what we want to be. Our tailbacks are running hard, both of them. Uh, I don't think he meant 250-250. I think he meant we used to be 250-250 in, co- in college. Now it's just, we want that balance. But, look, right now he's making so many mistakes. You know, it's just you go, what What are you doing? He doesn't look like he's having fun. Doesn't look like he enjoys. I think the only thing he does care about is don't lose. I don't even think he cares about winning. I've never seen somebody who's that stressed out about everything. And, you know, he doesn't control the things like he used to in college. You get the best players, you're going to win 80% of your games. Yep. You do a decent job of coaching and motivating, you start winning 90% of your games. Like he's He's a good motivator. He's proven that with younger people. These are adults. It's it's even across the board. Uh, you have to learn how to deal with losses. You have to. And no one likes it, but you have to. He looks whooped. I don't think we'll do talk the talk next week. Does he make it through the through the year? You hear what uh, JC said. He said he might not make it the next two three weeks. Well, I'll disagree with that. But I think this latest scandal. Man, it's just leaders. I'll go back to the Gruden thing because I've, you know, this week, you know, it's been brought up a bunch. People in leadership are absolutely held to a higher standard. Most definitely. And you have to. You are leading people. They can't doubt you behind the scenes. They have to know not just the trust. They, I truly trust you that you're fighting for me every, and you have your the very best for not just me, but everybody. I, I thought the guy from um, uh, the Chargers head coach, uh, his, his was awesome today. And, and he's Staley, and he's a young man. But, you know, sometimes maturity isn't just in years. Mm-hmm. You know, really mature and just uh, – so, yeah, yeah, it's just – yeah. Anyways. I, I think Urban Myers is um, – he's, he's He'll be done by the end of the year. Just yeah, he's that done. Started. 250, 250. Right now you're 218 past 129 run your own five I think he's digging deep into what cliche can I say this week what can I do to get these guys going you know what you can do motivate a 35 year old you get your butt back on the plane you come back to work you address the team on a Monday you, you game plan you show up every day you show them never heard of that something like that. I'm Owen five we are Owen five but my worth ethic does not change because these grown men can sniff that stuff out. You can sniff it out as an 18-year-old, but you can't say nothing. You're there. You're, you're, you are locked into that program for four years. different now, transfer portal. But traditionally, you're locked in. You can't do that with grown men. You couldn't have flown home with the team and taken your private jet 
back to Ohio. Crazy. I, I we used to let players off if they were close to home and we were on a road game, and some, we'd let a couple of them go from there. It made sense. Most of them we still made to go back to, to the facility because we needed to do training, and we rarely gave the guys the net first day off. We gave them, you know, after that, unless you're on a huge winning streak. I, it, it's just beyond weird to me. And so he's lost that team. I, th- I don't think he quits in two or three weeks. I don't think they fire him, but he's just made too many mistakes. He'll be gone by the end of the year. Before we get out of here, though, he said what he said. He said 250 for 250, and here's the thing. He did that 20 times when he was at Ohio State, right? So he could have been thinking about that. But he said it in the quote, you know, we had 250 and 200. So he's thinking about it. Just for context for everyone listening out there, that has happened, let me count, uh, one time in the history of the National Football League, okay? (laughs) That someone, that a team has done that. um, There's only been, excuse me, there's been 52 times where that's happened ever. But the fact that someone's averaged that, come on, man, it can't happen. It doesn't happen. He said what he said. He was wrong. And I'm telling you, Bump, if I said that to you in the locker room, what, what are you saying back to me? That'd be like saying we're for sure going 17 and 0. I'm shaking my head. But you know what he's doing? He's reaching for the stars. He might land on the moon. Hey. He ain't landing on the moon either, though. He- you know, got to have, have a dream. <laughs> but sometimes we used, to, we used to say, but make them realistic. Yeah. And that's maybe where he is. All right. Make them realistic here. Okay. When we return. We're going to recap this show. We'll give you final thoughts and the keys to victory. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live every Thursday. Time to put a bow on this thing. Me and my guy, Paul Moyer, have been holding it down for almost two hours. Now it's time to what, – what do these guys need to do? The Hawks I'm talking about. What do they need to do to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers? They're 31st against the pass. They're 30th against the run. Somewhere around there. Flip those numbers. It doesn't matter. They're 32nd overall on defense. How how do we fix this? Well, stats are more important to people locally and their team. You know, we're looking at we're 32nd, and what are are we against the rush? 30, 29th, whatever the number is. And then we happen to go look at the Chargers. And the Chargers have a great coach and one of the best minds on defense. They're 32nd yards a game against the rush, 32nd yard average rush. And this guy, is anybody thinking their defense is lousy? So, we, so my point is we hone in on stats more here. So what do we have to do? Look, we just need to start making the, with the key downs, the key play. we got to start coming up more with the, those than they do. Now, I mentioned this earlier. We had three plays last last week that cost us 21 points. We scored a touchdown. Dwayne Brown got a holding penalty on him. One of our highest paid best players. Tyler Lockett runs a double move, wide open. We're going to go double-digit leads. Russell overthrows him. I get it. He had pressure, ended up breaking his hand on the throw. But he overthrew him on that. I'm not underthrew him. So he missed that throw. And then the Jamal Adam one's on cover, too. Again, to me, he needed better help technique from the corners and everything because it's too bad we had a great pass rush on that play from L.J. Collier. That's an interception. At worst, we knock it down. We get off the field. We, you know, we got a lead, and now we're, we're giving up. We get, they end up getting a touchdown on that drive. That's 21 points on three plays. Now, if we make those three plays, we're not even having this conversation. So we're gotta, we got to make three big plays in this game on Sunday, and it's a wrap. Well, you— 
we I had a coach who always said there's five big plays in the game that are 50-50 situations or as I mentioned you got a touchdown you got a holding penalty it's a big you got to come up with three of those five well I just gave you three so I know we didn't win <laughs> those five right yeah and and that's often what the game comes down to because it wasn't like the Rams whooped up on us I mean we're up seven to three at halftime we really again we should have been up fourteen to three we missed a field goal I mean got a touchdown call back. I, you know, I don't know if people forget this stuff. They do. They honestly do. You know, but those are huge moments in a game. And we, now we start saying, okay, now what's wrong here? What's wrong? Okay, let's look at the statistics. We can't stop anybody. Yeah, we, I thought we played pretty We did play well in the first half. And they, they got us on a couple of drives in the second half. We just ran, they ran a couple of routes. We just didn't adjust. You can't, so you can't ignore the statistics, but you can't dwell on them because they, it doesn't tell you exactly what happens in a football game. A football game isn't like baseball where the data is so important, right? You, we've seen teams outgain a team and still lose the football game. We've seen a team win the turnover battle and still lose a football game. I think football is a little different. Now, for this offense to get going, we used to uh, say kiss, right? Keep it simple, silly. Silly is I, – I, I changed that word because – you. I might get caught up 10 years from now for saying that other word. Okay. <laughs> <You're fired. laughs> I might get fired. So it's keep it simple, silly. I think that's what you got to do on offense. Just keep it simple. I mean, and simple means that it's doing what we wanted the Hawks to do anyway is get the football out of your hands quickly and run it and put drives together. But the defense is going to have to make a couple plays this game for these guys to win this ball game. I, I think – I don't know if I think we will. I'm optimistic that they're going to rise to the occasion. I think losing Russell Wilson makes everybody hyper-focused. It's like you know an, an injured animal, right? Um, you're, you're dangerous at that point. There's nowhere to go but go to play well. I mean, you, this is what you're paid to do. You don't have to worry about mistakes anymore. Your best player or most important player, Russell Wilson's not – on the team. And so you cannot put all the pressure on Geno Smith on this defense. You got to go win games. We got to get turnover. We got to get stops. We got to stop having so many first downs. We got to give our offense a ton of opportunities. I hope we can run the football. This would be a great game for it. You know, if we, if we're not running it well and, and we're, you know, it's two downs and now it's third down and six, third down and six. I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure on Geno. He's capable of doing it. We've got all the skill players in the world. Um, this game, this game is probably the most critical game of the year to make the playoffs because I believe if they win, they win the next two. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. You know, we're five and three. We're going into a bye week. You know, with nine games to play, maybe we get Russell back. Confidence in the defense, kind of like last year, we started to see. Yeah, that's the hope. I I don't know yet. In my heart of hearts, if I completely believe it yet. I feel like we're gonna know a quarter into this game. like I think we do a pretty decent job. You know, I'm not even going to say that because we've been wrong because halftime we go in up 7-3. But even last week, um, was the last week they go into up in halftime 7-3, last couple of weeks, and you even said, like, yeah, they're up, but I don't like the way they've been playing. Mm. Um, again, another way stats will fool you. The score will fool you sometimes. Like, oh, well, they were up, but they weren't playing the best football. A couple of breaks go their way. You miss a field goal here. Look at the 49ers game. You miss a field goal. You miss a PAT. You get a drop on um, on on a kick return by Cannon, number 48 or 49. You take advantage of those, of those things. But you look at the stats, and the 49ers win that game. Let me ask you this. 
you, you go on the road, and the way we've won over the last few years, been one of the best road teams uh, in football, but it takes usually a special leader to lead you in there, because and it takes special leader to to lead at the end to win games. And we're not going to have Russell Wilson, and he's the emotional. He believes. I mean, he believes when they get on that plane and they land, they're going to win this game. And while he may be there, it's going to be more as a cheerleader. How how big is that? Just losing that emotional leader into these terrible yellow towels being waved all over the place. Yeah, I think that's big because you look at Russell Wilson and you, he makes you believe, like, yeah, we got a chance to win this game. I think you these players look at Geno and say, yeah, we can win, but we got to make sure we have his back instead of the other way around to where Russell's going to get us out of some stuff. We're like, look, we got to be ready to help Geno out when he needs some help. And this is where the defense, you're right, as you said, man, that's, that, you're, that leader has to come out loud and strong and back it up. And I'll get, I have one example. We lost Kenny Easley and Jeff Bryant, and, and I won't go how far back, two fantastic football players. We had a ton of injuries, playing horrible. We, just, we were five and six. Uh, lost three games in a row, and we were we were you know a Super Bowl contender. They went down. We had a short week. Played on a Thursday night, or actually played Philadelphia. Played ugly, and they weren't very good that year. And beat them at the last second. We went on a roll. We won five games in a row. We, we couldn't be stopped. The offense. Dave Craig and them just said, "Hey, you guys, just do your thing. We're going to score in every possession." And they believed it. I when I I'm barely kidding. They scored on almost every possession the last four games of the year. They were that hot. And then our defense, man, we rallied around that too. So it takes somebody from the other side when you lose your leaders to say, you know, because the offensive guys say, yeah, Gino can say, yeah, but it's the other side that's really got to step it up. I don't need the offense to, I just need them to keep playing as is. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that we've never experienced it without Russell. First time, first time for everything. Who's going to step up on that defense and lead the way? Man, we appreciate you guys hanging out. Special thanks to Ray Fittipaldo, Colby Parkinson, and John Clayton for joining the show. Our board operator, Brady Robick, and our executive producer, Nasa Chobie. The Seahawks pregame show was live this Sunday starting at 2 p.m. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Bumpus, with Paul Moore. We'll be back next week right here on Hawks Live.